What's up, queens and royals? I'm your host, Angel, and you are listening to Awakened Love, a podcast on sex, love, and awakening. And these are the conversations to evoke the wise, wild, woke one within you. Let's go deep. What's up, loves? Today we have Nikki Clinch. Nikki Clinch is a master maturation coach, a facilitator and integrative holistic counselor. She is the author and host of the Soul Surgery podcast and has dedicated the past two decades of her life to healing her own self from multiple addictions, childhood and ancestral trauma. And she guides people through powerful processes to break free from the stories and wounds that are confining them from their past to embody their authentic self and to live with a deeper sense of alignment and wholeness. And I'm so stoked to have her here with us today. So welcome, Goddess. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. feels like a real honor to be here and to be able to connect with you and your listeners. So thank you for giving me this space. Such a pleasure. So here on Awakened Love, it's pretty obvious what we're about, love, sex, awakening. So to dive right into that, um, I'm hearing, you know, that you in the past two decades have been really deep in this healing yourself. I'm curious, what role has love and intimacy played in that transformation process for you? Well, I mean, I think it is the core role, (laughs) But it, not always in the context in which we perceive what love is or perceive what intimacy is. You know, usually we'll say the word love and intimacy and, and people will get a picture or a, an image of romance or a picture of, or an image of, the, of couples or relationships or the couple or the fantasy story. And, you know, through my journey, that absolutely, that aspect has had played a part, definitely played a part. But on a deeper level, you know, really everything comes back to love and intimacy. You know, our relationship to life is a mirror to our relationship to love and intimacy. Mm. You know, when we're born into this world, the first relationship that we have is the one with our mother. And that is the mirror. That is the, 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 um, I suppose that sets the context to our experience of love and intimacy in the world and with ourselves and with others. And so, you know, the whole journey for me has been so much about coming back to those aspects within myself that I had disconnected from in a form of survival or reaction or protection based on love or heartbreak, let's say. Mm. You know, I always say this with with the students that I work with or my clients, you know, everything comes back to the heart. And actually, one of the final chapters of my book is it, it, it says that, that the, the whole survival strategies and the stories and the ways of being that we identify with that we then end up you know, acting out on in our life, they develop because of pain. They develop because of heartbreak. And so when, it, when we're really in our process of coming home or we're in this transformational process of healing, it'll, it always comes back to the heart. Mm. And, and, and the, 
the spaces that have become disconnected within the heart. Um, and, you know, in my work, I, I always see the heart, instead of heart as the space of romance or the love story, the heart is, is the seed of truth, is the seed of consciousness. You know, in the heart, there's no, there's no story. There's no memory in the heart. There's no fear in the heart. Actually, the heart is the space behind the story, behind all the noise. And in, in Eastern philosophies, you know, the heart is known as the house of Shen. And that is the place in which you come to for all answers, mm. the truth. So, you know, in my journey, it began with heartbreak. And then everything that came from that has was a reaction or a survival strategy to heartbreak. Sounds very simplistic. It wasn't this simple. <laughs> Addiction, sleeping around, codependency, acting out, um, bulimia, um, everything. Everything that I acted out in and that, that kind of drove my life was as a reaction to an original heartbreak. Yeah. And so love and intimacy has been the invitation through all of it. How much can I release? How much am I willing to dive into that I'm, I'm carrying or that is defining me or that I'm attached to that is blocking my ability to know that I am love and to know that that intimacy is is our natural state of being. It's into me see. It's this connection with life. Um, so I would say it has played a very, very big part and continues to today. Yeah, so beautiful to hear you, although simple, I think very profound that these original love wounds, these heartbreaks that we carry create the patterns um, that hopefully we digest the karma that we churn to Dharma. It seems you have really walked that path so beautifully. Mm. You mentioned briefly, and I, I, there's so much time for love and intimacy, we are definitely going to circle back, but you mentioned your book. I'm really mm -hmm. curious, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are as well, what was the process of writing a book like for you? Wow, it was such a powerful process. And also, you know, I wrote the book in the middle of a pandemic, and that my marriage had broken, had broken down. So I, I got the deal for the book. And actually, I got signed by Hay House to write another book, a book called Warrior Woman, which used to be what my brand was based on. And I got signed to, to write a book called Warrior Woman, which was meant to be a book on women's empowerment. And literally, like three weeks after getting signing the contract, I flew out to the Amazon jungle <laughs> to sit in the Amazon for two weeks um, to work on a very, very deep, intense alignment retreat, a two-week alignment retreat, working with Garbo Mate and working with the Shipibo um, uh, tribe and with plant medicine. And as I was there... I remember the second day, um, the facilitator said to us, you know, you can't be a little bit in alignment. Mm -hmm. You're either in alignment or you're not in alignment. <laughs> yeah. And 
And it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. Like it really kind of kicked me in the stomach. I felt that flip in my stomach because something had landed in a way that I didn't want to see. And I, and something started to kind of unravel for me in those first few days of the retreat where I, where, you know, that feeling where you're coming out of a blind spot, some kind of form of denial and you know, something's coming and you don't really want to see it. And, and it just kept coming. And I, I, I started to realize that, you know, there were, I was in a, I was being in alignment in my, in my perception, in my work and with my clients um, and, and with my children. But I was, there was something that was completely out of alignment in my marriage mm. and I didn't want to see it. And as it started coming up deeper and deeper through the week um, in the jungle, I really started to see how much of my past trauma had been leading my whole life, even my success, even the birthing of this brand called Warrior Woman was all a way to try and survive my trauma. If I, if I could be the warrior woman, well, then I don't have to be the, the abused, abandoned four-year-old that's lost in the world. And even though it looked like I was doing good, it was led by a form of pain. And kind of running this life in this way was also, was also kind of not taking care of my relationship in my marriage. Um, so it was a very profound two weeks and I went home and I actually ended my marriage and my husband moved out and we had two young children. And the reason why I ended my marriage was because I knew that the only thing I did know was that it wasn't, it wasn't authentic and it wasn't true. And that I didn't know anything else, but if I could just honor what was true, then I would have, I would trust the unfolding of how life went from there. Mm. And so he moved out and I was in the middle of writing this book called Warrior Woman. And I wrote 50,000 words of it. And every single word I wrote just felt wrong. I was like, this feels wrong. It feels wrong. It feels wrong. And I sat with my editor and I presented her the 50,000 words. And I said, I got to tell you this isn't the book I was meant to write. And she was amazing. She sat with me and she said, you're clearly going through a metamorphosis. All I care about is that you write the book you were born to write. Why don't you throw it out? Just throw it out and let's see what comes. <laughs> so my husband had moved out. I then throw out this 50,000 words that I'd written and I just cried all night. <laughs> and I just, I surrendered. And, and everything that I thought that I had control of, I just surrendered. And the next morning I was in meditation and the entire download of this book that I have now written just came to me, ooh, like that. And within a week I had, I had, structured the outline and I repitched it and my editor was just like holy where did this come from <laughs> and I said this is it this is the one and the whole time I wrote it literally my husband and I were six months 
um, into a separation. Everything that we worked through in that, all the kind of um, absolute shifts of perception that that we both had on a transformational level, and then the world went into a pandemic. It was a profound process. Mm. Um, and it was only after I wrote it that we realized that it was called surrender, that the whole thing was about surrender. And so on a, I suppose on a, on a deeper level, I've, I know you may have heard people say this and it may sound wanky, but <laughs> the truth is I just feel like I was a channel of something that was coming through me. I would get up at five o'clock in the morning before my children got up. I was a single mother at the time and I would just write and I would schedule it every day that I would write 2000 words and it just came through me and it was very cathartic um, and healing. And by the end I wrote the last word and I just started crying because I knew that something had burst through me and somehow I was the channel of it that put my fingers to the board but I could definitely feel that something else had, had guided me through that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it was a remarkable process of trust and surrender. Um, and by the end of it, my husband and I actually renewed our vows and we rebirthed our marriage. Um, so it was really profound. The whole thing was extremely transformational. So the whole book, just walks the reader through that whole process and that whole journey. Mm. Wow. I'm so glad I asked that question. It was like really powerful <laughs> in my intuition is you need to ask about the process of writing the book. And part of my mind was like, no, no, love and intimacy. Let's stay there. And I just trusted the ping. And I'm so glad I did because that was incredibly juicy. What's up, beautiful beings? If we're not yet friends on Instagram, then we should be. Come on over, Angelica Alana, A-N-G-E-L-I-K-A, A-L-A-N-A. Lots of A's. It's the best place where we can connect more deeply if you're interested in connecting with my work, my group coaching programs, maybe having a one-to-one session. Or if you want to take my new free quiz to discover which is the dominant goddess archetype that you play into, or experience in your love and sex life. It's a lot of fun. I've never seen this put together in this way anywhere else in the world. And I found it to be such a rich source of information and a great framework for evolution in my work. I've been trying and testing this out. And women have been having wild breakthroughs, realizing these ancient archetypal outlines that they may have been playing into uh, in their sex and love life. And once we see it, then we can learn to expand beyond it. So if you're interested in taking that quiz, the easiest way to do it is to come on over to Instagram, find me at Angelica Alana, Angelica with a K, and then click that link tree in the bio and you're going to be able to find the free quiz there. I can't wait to connect with you more deeply there. I loved hearing you talk about how we can't just be a little bit in alignment so powerful mm. that's come into my sphere only in the last two weeks is I'm all in on alignment. And I think it's just such a powerful nugget to share of like, yeah, you can't just be a little bit in alignment. You got to really, and if you're choosing to walk the path, just hearing how bravely you allowed it all to burn, that can be such, I think, and I don't know if life ever stops asking us to do that. Perhaps it gets less intense. Yeah. I'm not sure, but at least in my own experience, 
there is, you know, many, many death and rebirth processes and many, many moments in which life will ask us to burn away the attachments, burn away what we thought it was going to be, how we thought it was going to go. And when you do as you did and you trust and you surrender as your book is Mm -hmm. called, wow, this space opens up for the deeper alignment to come in. And so powerful hearing you talk about getting to the point of renewing your vows. Can you, for whatever feels comfortable to share, can you take us on that journey a little bit? Like how did that transformation happen? How did you get from out of alignment to to separation to renewing the vows? Well, I mean, firstly, this is the entire story that I tell in the book. And alongside alongside the transformational process that I walk the reader through for your own life, I tell the story. I literally, the book begins the the day I arrive back from the jungle and then it finishes when we renew our vows. And so it's a, it's a remarkable process. And I have to tell you, it still surprises us. Like we, we've been together 10 years now and we separated just before nine years. And we had been having the same fight over and over again for nine years. Mm. Oh my gosh. Anyone listening who's in partnership <laughs> resonate with that one. <laughs> yeah. It didn't matter. It didn't matter whether we tried to change the tone of our voice or the way the house is or the amount of money in the bank or, you know, we would try to change the stuff, but somehow we would always end up back in the same dynamic and it was excruciatingly painful. Mm. And, you know, what I started to see at the beginning in the jungle was that my experience of myself in my marriage, let me start by saying, we can't see where we're seeing from. We can only see what we see. You know, we can't get behind our eyes and look at where we're seeing the world from. We can only see what what appears. And so I was so focused on what was appearing to me, which was him and his ways. And if he changes this and if he does this and da, 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 then I'll be happier. Of course, I'm doing the work on myself, but I couldn't see any deeper than that in the context of this dynamic. When I was in the jungle, I started to just get glimpses that my experience of myself in my marriage feeling like my needs weren't being met, feeling like I couldn't speak my truth, feeling like I was going to get in trouble, um, that I was going to trigger anger, was identical. I mean, it wasn't even close. It was identical to my experience as being a little girl with my mother. And so the whole book walks, talks you through and walks you through this, this whole way of being that we as a species, it's not just you or me, like this is universal for the way in which the human condition works. You know, our past is following the context in which the world appears to us. And and in that is the relationships that appear to us. So whenever my husband would speak in a certain way or or sometimes roll his eyes or or speak in a certain tone, it would immediately trigger the same experience that I felt of myself with my original relationship of intimacy, my mother. And then the same would happen to him. And so we wouldn't be him and me. We would be a four-year-old and a four-year-old 
trying to communicate and not seeing, not being able to see each other. Now, after I asked him to leave, and I want to say this to the listeners, and I say this in the book, for the first five months of our separation, I was 100% sure that we were divorcing. There was nothing in my mind that thought that we would get back together. I was convinced this was over. We were attending therapy every week purely because we have two young children and we knew we were going to have to bring them up together for a long, 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 long time. Now, in the process of working on ourselves, but I would say because I was brave enough to let everything burn, and I mean everything, like when he left, it wasn't just the end of my marriage, it was the end of an identity that I had known myself in. It was the end of the warrior woman. It was the end of the one that needed to be strong and survive and be a certain way in the world. So it really was a process of everything crashing and burning. And there was a real humility in that. There were many, many days, many days where I just didn't know who I was anymore or where I was going. And in those moments of I don't know, I would find these moments of stillness and such something so new showing up that was it was unrecognizable. Um, and for most of the time, and this is actually where I live now in my in in life, is is just listening to those unknown spaces for what might be the next step. Now, in our process together, we we really started to uncover that we weren't seeing each other. We were seeing a projection of, of where we've been coming from. And there was this remarkable moment that I write about in the book where, you know, I sit opposite him, you know, several months into our separation and I make amends. And I, and I realized that, uh, you know, I hadn't really ever seen him I had found someone that was going to fit the role in my fairy tale. And my fairy tale, the purpose of my fairy tale was so I could survive my past. And I'm, I sat opposite him and I said, I, I, I realized that my need to have life a certain way was so strong that it hijacked you into my story, <laughs> into my fairy tale. And, and and he never was able to live up to that. And I really made amends for not really ever being able to see him. I was so invested in seeing the one I wanted rather than who he is. Mm. Yeah. And those moments were so healing for us. You know, we just, we were able to keep letting go of these ideas and these pictures of what marriage should be and love should be that we're getting in the way of us really being able to see each other. And about six months in, we just had a breakthrough where we felt so at peace around each other that we started making friends again. We, we built a friendship. And then in that, a love started growing that neither of us had ever recognized. And it was so profound there was so much freedom and so much spaciousness 
neither of us had to live up to an expectation or a story or a picture. And in that, we we fell in love again and a new kind of love. And we really rebirthed our marriage. And I would I have to tell you, we have a new marriage. <laughs> <laughs> so powerful. Yes, yeah. Pearl often says that, you know, you often can come to a juncture in a relationship where this relationship is over and the choice point is, do we begin another one again together or not? Yes, absolutely. We had to 100% let the old one die without knowing whether we were going to make it through or whether this would be permanent. And I really mean that. We did not know. There was no kind of preconditioned, projected expect. It was really not knowing. And in that, a new possibility was born. Mm. It's interesting because what you're describing almost fits. There's a framework, I believe it's Annie Lala. I think it was her original framework that talks about love in these three phases. And the first phase is the honeymoon phase, which she calls projectional love, right? Like where, which is kind of, you know, we're kind of always dipping in and out of that when we're triggered. And I was hearing you talk about that as well. It's like, if we're triggered, we're in story time, like land, we're in projection. It's totally attached to our original love wound, all the things you said, but we can move from that projectional love into what she calls the compassionate phase. But this phase can also, you know, feel really exhausting because it's a lot of communication it's a lot of work right yeah it's important to know how to use those tools but if you're always in this work if you're always there's a lot of attachment yeah she's nodding knowingly uh but then she talks about this third phase which is what she calls true love and it's exactly as you describe as a lot of freedom a lot of sovereignty a lot of honoring of the other as a separate being as you know Osho talks about like always learning something, never assuming that you know the person in front of you because we don't even know ourselves, right? We're changing every day. And that beauty of of hearing you talk about the stillness in the I don't know-ness, like if you can live in that space, which requires deep surrender, as (laughs) your book is called, deep trust, scary as fuck, but also totally feeling like, wow, what's on the other side of this letting go of who it should be, letting go of who am I in this, letting go of, as you talk a lot about, the stories so that I can rest in the now, like what's actually here. Do you hear, as far as stories, I know a lot of you, you work a lot around helping people break free from their stories and their wounds. What are some of the, is there like a reoccurring theme that you see in the limiting stories with the people you work with or in the world? Well, the reoccurring theme is the nature of the human condition, is that the repetitiveness, the pattern is mechanical. It's not just, because I know that we hear this kind of language a lot, rewrite your story, change your story, as if it's a mindset thing, as if it's only a mindset thing. Well, no, it's not. It, it's, it, it's literally an attachment to an identity. And, you know, the mind can't distinguish the past from the present. So when whatever we've experienced in the past, you know, there's this phrase, whatever fires together, wires together. Mm-hmm. So whatever those charged moments in the past, you know, we literally, our, our neural pathways have, have, have entangled, have fused together into a memory that, that keeps repeating itself continuously through our life. Now, the mind can't distinguish imagination from reality either so it doesn't matter if it's real or not or not the experience of it is determining our experience of reality 
So that is the most, that is a consistent factor of the human condition. Whatever is unconscious from the past that we, and we call them blind spots, that is, that is still continually coloring how we experience reality it will just keep repeating itself and we live in a set we live in a paradox we we live in a way where we're trying to fix our problems if i do this if i change this if i speak this way if i change my body if i change my house well then this will finally be the answer to the problem but we don't realize that we that that we're the one generating the very experience of the problem and so we keep trying to change things and then that generates even more and then we change things. And so we're living in a vicious circle and it's a paradox. There's no way off. And this is the nature of human suffering. This is, this is the hamster wheel. And you look at where we are in the world. It's, this is the nature of survival. You know, we are as a species, we've been in a paradigm of survival. That's how we've been being human. Now I believe, and I think you, you, you probably see this too, we're coming out of that paradigm. Now, as with any kind of break of uh, an illusion, there is first a form of destruction. We have to pierce the illusion that, that there's something coming to save us, that there's a fairy tale or a happy ending out there somewhere, Mm. rather than really seeing that we are the source of our own experience which is much more empowering, actually, much more empowering. Um, And so that is the, that is consistent. I mean, I actually, I've not met a human being that doesn't have this, this struggle. It's the nature of human suffering. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, that is the consistent factor. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I talk a lot about as well in, in my work, this fairy tale. You know, it's this over, it's this archetypal story that's overlaid on our collective consciousness that really just disempowers us, as you say, takes us with a bum steer, has us waiting for something to fall into our laps. And I think it's such an oh shit moment when we take back the creatorship, mm. as you're talking about. Like, because at first you think, wait a minute, all of this, like, I have to take responsibility for all of this, even the stuff that like oh. doesn't feel good. You're like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah. Literally, it is an oh shit moment, but it's a good oh shit moment because, I mean, there's always a form of resistance. And actually, if you look at where we are in the world right now, you can see it's very palpable. There's kind of the camp that's in resistance, which is causing all the fight and the struggle and the, and the, 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 the kind of tussle going on. And then, there's, and then there's kind of the waking up, which is creating an opening and a spaciousness and a kind of aha moments. I mean, people, more people today are having enlightening moments than ever before. And we can have enlightening moments um, all the time now. And they're coming thick and fast, you know. But there's a difference between enlighten, enlightening moments and, and actually being liberated. And... You know, I haven't met anyone yet that's fully liberated. Um, and I think... <laughs> um, we, we keep trying um, and that's the point, right? I think... We keep trying. I experience longer moments of wakeness and shorter moments of sleepness, but there's still sleepness, you know? 
it's still there, yes. at least for me. <laughs> and and I, I I actually write about this in the book as well that we you know we're not meant to become free of the story. Well, mm. let me say that we're not meant to not have a story. We yes. need a story. We need an identity to be human. We can't. I mean, it's the nature of being human. So as long as we're here and we are human, we have to learn how to be human. But can we learn how to be human with freedom? And the nature of being human is that we have a mind, which means that there will always be some form of an identity. So it's not about becoming without that, but how can we live alongside it with consciousness so that it doesn't live our life, that we get to live our life with a story. Mm. It's a very different thing to having the story live your life in an unconscious way. Yes. Um, God, so powerful. Because I was hearing you talk about before the patterns repeating. So it's that. It's like, are the patterns, the story is living your life. The patterns will keep repeating until, and I know Jamie Wheel talks about um, this idea of can we turn as many players in this game into designers and as many designers into yeah. architects? And I'm kind of hearing you say that in a different way, this idea of instead of just letting the story live you or just being a player in this game, can you wake up to the fact that you're a designer? Absolutely. I mean, I say this all the time. Like once you do this work enough and you've gone deep enough, you realize that, wow, holy crap, I've spent 42 years generating an experience of reality based on a story, a decision that I made, you know, 42 years ago. I mean, how powerful are we? We're so frigging powerful <laughs> That's the that we can moment. do that. <laughs> like if you can do that, what can you do when you get some power around this? Now that is what excites me. Mm. That. That's where we get the opportunity to genuinely create a new possibility in our world. But it requires us to, to be seeing and living from another level of consciousness. Um, and that is only possible if we are willing to become 100% responsible for being the source of our own experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So... <laughs> When would you say you had, was, was your awakening, I mean, it's always an ongoing process, but was there a really big rupture in your world where you kind of realized or a big awakening? How did that occur for you? I had so many. Um, I, had, I, I would say there's kind of four pivotal points in my life. The first one was I rock bottomed from addiction Um, And I was young and I was really, really rock bottom. So I was only 20. I'd been an active addict for a decade. Um, And by the last days, I was emaciated, um, getting high every day, sleeping with the landlord or the pub next door just so that I could get lock in and get free alcohol whenever I wanted. I was living in a state of absolute, I was bulimic 12, 15 times a day all the blood vessels in my face had popped because of my bulimia. I was really, really in a bad way. And I I say this in the book, what was so astonishing when I look back now is that actually none of that was what was going to kill me. What was killing me was my complete lack of self-worth and sense of self. And that was taking me out. And I got told that if I had continued living that way, I would never have made it to 30. Mm. Now, I just 
I woke up one morning and I just could not stop crying. It was just, it was getting close to the end. I knew that I was getting close and I just broke down on my living room floor. I'm like surrounded by drug paraphernalia and all the mess from the night before. And I just, it felt like I cried 20 years of tears that I had been bottling up and I was sobbing on my living room floor. I was alone. And I just had this profound moment wash over me or through me that just felt so peaceful. And I just whispered, and I said in the book, it was like God came and sat next to me. And I just said, I whispered, I really want to live this life, but I don't know how. Um, it was an absolute moment of surrender, like my whole heart and so everything just, um, just, I just let go. And somehow within an hour, I found myself in a doctor's office and I started telling that doctor everything that I'd been doing and living, what had been really going on. Um, I remember I, I called my mother that morning that after that appointment and I told her and I, and she, and I said, look, I, I need treatment. And she said, you know, can you wait six weeks for the NHS or do you need to go private? And I said, I have to tell you the truth. I don't think I'll be alive in six weeks. And so bless her. She kind of, she got, got out her checkbook and she just said, go, just go. And that was it. I went into treatment. I went into therapy. I, I literally had the choice. Do I change everything or do I not make it? And it was an easy choice for me. Um, I just went for it and I've never looked back since. So that was definitely the beginning. Uh, there was, you know, I always say there's kind of before that moment and then after that moment mm. in my life. Um, and I, I have to say, when you're, when you're that close to death, that gifts you with something for the rest of your life. You will all, I have always had that. And when I've sat with clients or, or, or people that I work with, and they are in the absolute darkest of the shadow moments, I, I know what that feels like. And that has gifted me the ability to be able to hold space for other human beings to go through these moments in a way with so much compassion. Mm. And that is, that's something that will gift me for the rest of my life. Yeah, that ability to be able to sit with people in pain without looking away. Such a powerful yeah. gift as a facilitator, as a human. I mean, what I'm hearing you say that's so poignant is this you you owned the desire and you surrendered the how. In the moment that I'm hearing you say, you said, I want to live this life, but I don't know how. Yeah. Like, and isn't that such yeah. a testament to the power of claiming 
our desire instead of living in the protective mechanism that we all do in our own way, right? In many ways, right? At different periods in our life of when we, when we don't, when we can't touch the vulnerability of, I don't know how to do it. Mm. It's so, it's excruciatingly vulnerable in a world that tells us we should know how. I see this in sex a lot in my work and in work with couples and people. It's like, you just should know how to do this. It's excruciatingly vulnerable to say, I don't know how, but I want to know. And so I'm just wanting to highlight that powerful and what an amazing, um, it's a consciousness, it seems like. It's like a shift in the fundamental consciousness that creates the opening for the light to get in. It is. And I, that's why I called the book Surrender because that is another consistent thing that I've seen. In every person I've ever worked with or spoken to, a, a millimoment before the surrender happens, happens something something else happens and that is the point of humility when you're ready to own that you don't know Mm. (laughs) and it is consistent and I've interviewed so many people on this topic and and there is a moment just before when you finally are able to put your hands up and go I really don't know how to do this yeah so much power did that carry over? I mean, I, I'm. it sounds as well like that also helped your marriage when you were able to go, I don't know how to do this and just let it all go. Yeah. And in that humility, you could build from the truth of the moment. Yes. <sighs> there was, we had been going for years trying to, trying to hold on or survive this marriage and all the while ignoring the fact that neither of us really knew what we were doing and and it, neither of us felt nourished by it. And, you know, it, it takes an enormous amount of courage to, to finally just go, freaking hell, I don't know what I'm doing here, but it doesn't feel good. Mm. I actually said that to him. I came back from the jungle. I arrived back from the airport. I arrived home and I sat there with him and I said, I, I don't know what the answer is. And I don't know how to do this. But what I do know is this does not feel good. And it does not feel right. That's Mm. the only thing I know. Mm. And that was us being ready now to, to let go. Yeah, it sounds like you went deeper. It's like the, I'm thinking of the triune brain model. It's like the prefrontal cortex where language is and where the figuring it out is and where the planning is and the making it through. And if, and I was hearing you talk a lot about this listening, like if you can drop into that limbic, the emotional part of our brain that doesn't actually have access to language. That's why we say things like, I don't know, but it just doesn't feel right. It's coming from that deeper part of our brain that's like, doesn't have language, but how many of us are so conditioned out of that, to trust that I don't know this, but it doesn't feel right. Although that's actually coming from a deeper part of us, it takes so much courage to make such a huge life decision from that place. And yet yes. we try to do it the other way around of, let me just try and figure it out, figure it out, figure it out. It's like, at least in my experience, and I think it's mirroring what you're saying. It's like, I don't get far. <laughs> well, actually, when I did some research into this, um, I, I, I learn, and it's really profound, that scientifically about, I, I, like it's a few seconds before we have a moment of insight. A few seconds before the moment of insight happens, 
the activity in the left side of the brain diminishes. And so the activity in the right side of the brain um, increases. And so a, a few seconds before the moment of insight, actually the right side of the brain opens up and then we just get this moment. And, we, and it's like reality shifts or we see something that we just couldn't see before. And I just found that so profound when I, when I did research into that and I, I, I learned that, mm-hmm. um, that actually, you know, it's almost like an opening that, that happens for us to see another possibility. Yeah. Are you saying like the, the left side or the sort of thinking rational brain has to quiet? Exactly. Yeah. It has to quiet. It quietens down the left side of the brain, the part that absorbs all this information from the past. It's like a data. It's like a machine, an, an information machine that quietens down and then it, which allows the right side to open up, which is the side of feeling and experience and connection. Um, and that opens up and that opens up a possibility of reality that we just couldn't see before. Yeah. It makes so much sense. I can't remember what book I was reading, but it, it's exactly, it's exactly what you're saying. And it was, it's a, it's a book about ideas, like how to have ideas. And it says that it's like, you want to take in all the information and you want to be researching and stuff, but then you have to put it all down. You have to put it all away. You have to let it all go, go for a walk. It might take weeks. It might take months, but until you let it all go, your brain can't then do the deeper work of letting things come together, that insight point. So such a beautiful reminder of like, sometimes you've got to let it all go, whether that's just going for a walk in an afternoon or letting your entire life burn, you know, (laughs) the letting it all go part seems to be important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and then, you know, other points of awakening for me have, have, have come in very similar processes, which is like, you know, it, it is a similar process. You know, I, 10 years after getting clean, I'm, I'm clean now and I'm being sober and I'm living a different life. And I'm, you know, on, on the surface, everything looks better. You know, I'm healthy and I'm shiny and I'm drinking my green juice and I'm doing my <laughs> yoga and I'm doing all the stuff that, that that's the good stuff. But and the world accepts me more. But what was kind of remarkable was even though I looked better and I felt better and I was, I mean, it was better than it was, I was still having the same experience of myself in the world as I was when I was an addict. That suffering, internal suffering, I had not experienced any long-term freedom around it. And that was a real moment of, profound seeing it was like oh feeling better doesn't seem to be enough feeling better seems to be so temporary um and so that was the first time I took myself to the Amazon and I went for five weeks on my own to work with a shaman in the Amazon just on my own and that's a crazy thing in itself you know trucking off to the middle of the Amazon on your own as a 30 year old girl with no one else in sight <laughs> but it was a profound moment I had this as soon as I arrived he um he said before we drink any medicine you need to you need to clear from the inside out um and he made me do seven days of silence sitting on my bed in the maloka where I wasn't allowed to leave the bed. Someone would bring me food twice a day. And I had to sit there in silence for seven days. And it, and I'm literally in the middle of the Amazon on my own in this hut. <laughs> and it was the most profound training that I had ever had. 
it was the first time I was able to experience the absolute intensity of human suffering. You know, I was like writhing around that bed, like I had ants crawling all over me. My thoughts were just going all over the place. My emotions were all over the place and I just didn't think I could do it. And then around day four, day five, I had this profound shift where I was able to start to experience emotion move through me and I would feel it, but then it would pass and then thoughts would come and I would be able to see the thoughts, but I wasn't attached to them. And I just started to kind of laugh because I was like, my God, look at all this. There's so many thoughts, there's so many feelings. And I just was able to start experiencing this freedom, this peace mm. sitting on the bed that actually none of this is who I am. I've been so identified with all of this and it has, has been living me. And that was the first real moment of freedom for me. Mm. Uh, and that was before I even worked with any plants. Wow. Yeah, it sounds almost like you had to deal with the physical body, you know, like the, the even Maslow's hierarchy of need, like body security before you could move into this kind of like emotional um, healing, this like separation. Yes. How do you think that the stories we tell ourselves, like I'm hearing you talk a lot about this, this idea of story, right? Like, mm. and of course, it's clear that they do play into our entire lives. Is there um, a way that you see that these stories really tend to play into love and intimacy and getting the love and intimacy that we want? Oh my God, so much. Like my husband and I just did a podcast episode on this. We, you know, really, if we are willing to dive deep enough in an inquiry around it, you just have to really look at how much do people come in with already? You know, there's this story of that you have attached to or identified with from your own childhood. So any kind of source of pain or trauma or, or wound that you're carrying, um, you know, that in itself already gets in the way of you being able to communicate and see each other. Um, and then, of course, you have the story, then you have the stories that you've inherited from your ancestors and from your parents, you know, um, mine, uh, I realized, you know, for me, there was, I carried this story so much around, you know, my mother is a brown, a dark brown woman born into a kind of an olive skinned family in Southeast Asia and was seen as the lesser one. She was seen as kind of the servant. And, you know, she then grew up in the world trying to prove herself in a white world. And this story of shame and not enoughness then, and also the, the pattern of trying to prove your worth, you know, absolutely I inherited. Um, and then there's the stories that society has taught us, the story of being a woman. And then my husband comes in the story of man. And that there's just these, these, then the cultural stories that we come in with. Like there are so many levels of, of conditioning that color the way we we identify ourselves and 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 get in the way of us being able or colors the way in which we see each other now you know 
if we really want to be able to see each other, we have to be able to see where we're seeing from. And, and you just hear how much gets in the way of our sight. You know, it, this, is, this is what distinguishes our ability to, you know, if my husband loses his temper and he's got anger moving through him, the difference between me seeing uh, an angry monster that I then have to fight and defend myself and I have to be the strong, you know, woman to being able to see a little boy that's frightened. And that's the only way he knows how to fight or defend himself. I mean, that's a very simplistic example, but that changes everything. Oh, yeah. It changes everything about how you are able to see each other and where, where you even experience love from. Now, how is it? It's, it still kind of blows my mind. How is it? that a man that I genuinely thought was um, just bad for me and I need to get away from and he's just not right for me, how can that transform into me sitting with my husband now and I, he's like the love of my life. I want to grow old with him and you know, be 95 with him and just be wobbling around. Like, how does that even happen? We're, t- we're still the same human beings, and so that is the power of this, of, of really diving into an inquiry into what colors, how you experience reality. Everything, nothing changes, yet everything can become different. Mm. Yeah, so, so, so powerful. My Lord, I, I always am <laughs> in flow state with these things and can just hardly believe when the time is up. But um, if you're ready, I would love to move into some rapid fire questions. Okay, sure, yeah. So someone comes to you and they're feeling really down, but you can only give them one piece of advice. What do you say? Can you be with the experience that you're feeling right now? Hmm. Yeah. What's the most important thing for successful relationships? Communication. Hmm. It's a classic for a reason. <laughs> if you could be one animal, <laughs> what animal would you be? Uh, leopard. Yeah, I see that. If you could have a superpower, <laughs> what superpower would you have? Oh, I do have a superpower. I can see. I can see into who the truth of somebody is. Mm. I love that. You're the first person who's claimed claimed. I do have a superpower. I'm like, yes, queen. <laughs> If you could only take one spiritual practice or tool with you, you're going to an island, it's a deserted island, what tool or practice do you take with you? You're only allowed one. Meditation. Yeah, meditation. Meditation. Love it. <laughs> What's your favorite thing that you own? Gosh, so it's so interesting. I, I, don't really, I don't really have one. I have a beautiful necklace that I got at rock and roll and it is a crystal and I just, it just, oh, it just has so much energy and life to it. It brings me life. I love that. Mm. But usually I don't really, I don't really mind, attach myself to stuff, but I love that. Yeah. What's something you believe is true that other people might think is crazy? That our freedom lies in our ability to be with our experience in the present. Mm. Yes. If you could eat one meal before you die, what would it be? 
Oh, octopus and rice. <laughs> oh. I'm a Chinese girl. <laughs> I love rice, Queen. I could eat rice for breakfast, lunch, and dinner as well. Yeah. I love that question because it's so outside of the podcast, but I love food and we love food in my household. It's like such a love language for us. So I'm like always so curious. I'm like, yes. Last one. If there was a universal answering machine, that you could leave a 15-second voice note on, a few words or sentences, that everyone in the world was going to hear today, what would you say? You are the source of your own experience. Trust yourself. Listen deeper. Be courageous. Mm, So beautiful. And it seems like the theme of this podcast is that deep listening, (laughs) that surrender, and that courage to take the leap. So... For our listeners that want to buy your brand new book, Surrender, where can they find that? Well, you can buy it anywhere that sells books. Amazon sells it globally, but it will also be in a lot of local bookstores. It releases globally on the 20th of July. You can also go to my website, www.nikkiclinch.com, and we have a whole page there dedicated to the book uh, that you can buy the book there as well. So yeah, please go buy it and enjoy Amazing. And is the best place for people to connect with you on your website? Do you want to share your Instagram handle? Yeah. So um, my website is a is a place that you can come and learn as much as you need about me, but also I share regularly on my Instagram. So Nikki underscore clinch. So you can come there and connect with me there. And I've also got my podcast, Soul Surgery. Uh, we have a YouTube channel and we're on everywhere that um, listens to podcasts. So yeah, please come and connect and and ask me questions and write me emails or DM me. And I I, I love to engage with my community. Mm, Thank you so much for your time, your wisdom, your heart, your presence today. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really love this conversation. It's been really nourishing. That's it for today, guys. Thank you so much for gifting me with your most precious resource, your time, attention, and your energy so that we can continue to awaken together and to elevate the level of consciousness on this planet to ensure that we are all thriving in love and sex in the way that we all so richly deserve and that is so possible for each of us. And if you want to connect with me and my work more deeply, I would love to see you over at Instagram at Angelica Alana, A-N-G-E-L-I-K-A-A-L-A-N-A, lots of A's. (laughs) And there you can find that free quiz to discover which of the goddess archetypes is most dominant in your love and sex life. You can connect with me. You can apply for the group coaching programs, which are starting in September, book in a one-to-one session, or just see more of what I do and connect with me there. I'd love to hear from you. And as always, if you have feedback, questions, and comments, that's the best place that you can share them. I'd love to hear from you. Have a beautiful week and we'll connect real soon.